You know, I must admit to you, this has been an emotional week. It's been an emotional roller coaster. Uh, this past Tuesday, Terry and I celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary, but it was waking that morning to the news of the death of my favorite preacher, my favorite author, Robbie Zacharias, that just rocked my world. I know him only through his books and his writings, his lectures, his podcasts, and his sermons. But I can tell you no other human being has impacted my faith life so profoundly, my ministry so profoundly as Robbie Zacharias. And I am not alone. People from all over the world are sending their responses to his death and what he meant to them. People all around the world are grieving, but their grief most likely doesn't touch the depth of grief that his family and his close friends are experiencing this week. Together we grieve the loss of a great Christian witness. You know, in a similar way over the past years, I've, I've grieved with some of you at the loss of your loved ones. Not in the way that you have, but with you. And some of you have experienced that loss during this pandemic. And as a result, you've had to witness the passing of your loved ones from a distance. Maybe not being able to be with them as they passed. Having to reside to a small family funeral without the celebration of their life, without that memorial service where friends and family can gather to console and and to remember. Not only are you grieving the loss of your loved one, you're grieving the loss of the way things used to be just a few short months ago. Grief can be painful. It can hurt. And so it's no wonder that a lot of us try to avoid grief But a grief expert, a researcher, a doctor tells us that that is not the way. In fact, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says this, we think we want to avoid the grief, but really it's the pain of the loss we want to avoid. Grief is the healing process that ultimately brings us comfort in our pain. She describes grief as something that must be gone through in order to come out whole on the other side. She goes on to say in her book that grief is a necessary step in going through from death to life. If we're to experience wholeness on the other side of the loss, we must go through grief. You know, in the series titled Peace, where we've been looking at the peace that God desires for us to experience in, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of this broken world, in the middle of anxiety, in the middle of shame and guilt. And this week we look at the other aspect, something that can just throw our mental and emotional health off kilter, and that is grief and depression. God desires to bring us wholeness, this shalom, this something more than just uh, peace without conflict, but something that's much deeper that carries with it this meaning of wholeness, this meaning of completeness. God desires for us to experience that in the middle of our grief and depression. And so as we look at these two words, the first thing I want to do is make a distinction between depression as a stage in the grieving process and clinical depression. 
Grief experts, psychologists will tell you that there are six stages to the grieving process, one of which is depression. That depression, that deep sense of sadness, that sadness that seems like there's no well that persists for a while is a normal response to the death of a loved one. In fact, they would say not experiencing depression would be unusual at the death of a loved one. But clinical depression is something much different. Clinical depression is a different animal. Clinical depression, if left untreated, can, can result in physical harm and, and put our own lives at risk. Clinical depression is the sign of something broken. It's something that persists for an extended period of time and, and goes deeper and deeper. And, and it's not something that we can just snap out of or work our way through. It requires help. It requires assistance. It requires the help of a medically trained professional who understands the circumstances of the person grieving, who then can diagnose properly and not only diagnose, but properly assess the, the grieving and prescribe the, the proper treatment. Clinical depression is not something to be avoided, not something to be ignored. And so during this series, we've also put up a resource page on our website, tlcforyou.org forward slash peace. There are a list of resources. There are hotlines. If you're in a situation right now where you're wondering and you're questioning what it is that you're going through, I would encourage you to seek treatment. Sadly, 30% of the people in the United States who suffer from clinical depression don't seek treatment because they think it's a sign of weakness. They're ashamed. They think it's, it's something that's wrong with them that they can work themselves out of, and it's not. If there's any doubt in your mind about your life or the life of someone you care about, check out our resource page. Seek treatment. If there's any doubt, ask for help. Help is there. Check out our resource page. But when we talk about grief, what do we mean? Well, grief is the response to the death or loss of someone or something. Let me read that again. The response to the death or loss of someone or something. And that response can be varied. It can be denial. It can be surprise. It can be shock. The response could be one of anger, one of fear, one of shame. It can be one of deep sadness. And, and the more deep, the more meaningful the loss, the deeper the grief. And there is no prescribed way through grief. Grief is, is a varied experience, as there is the number of people. There is no right or wrong way through grief or, or a prescribed timeline. But grief isn't just something that we experience at the loss of a person. Grief can be the loss of a loved one, the death of something. Think about it like this, the death of a job, being furloughed, being laid off, being fired, being outsourced. We can experience grief. The death of a marriage, we call that divorce, can bring about grief. The loss of a relationship, the loss of a home, the loss of a pet, the loss of the, of the ability to celebrate your graduation because you're sheltering in place, the loss of that spring activity that went by the wayside because of COVID-19, the loss of the ability to gather together in person for worship on the weekend. All of this can bring about grief, and grief and depression left untreated, left un, unworked through, can really 
really set us off balance in our emotional and mental health. And so we want to ask the question, we want to explore this question this weekend. Is there hope for peace in the midst of grief? Can we find peace? Is there any hope for this shalom, this, this, this fullness, this wholeness in the midst of grief? And I believe we can answer yes to that question. And to do so, I want to look at this text that we heard read earlier in this service. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. I believe it's in this text that God shows us three ways that he helps the prophet Elijah through his grief and depression. Now, I also want to be very clear that this is not a three-step prescription through grief. Experts tell us that grief is way too messy to be packaged that neatly. This is not a prescription, but a description of what God has done for Elijah through his grief and, and depression. It is, a, it is a message meant to encourage you. It is a message meant to bring hope, to help you if you are in the midst of grief and depression. A message to remind you that the God that helped Elijah through his pain, through his grief, through his depression, is the same God the ever-present help for you in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your depression. What God did for Elijah and what he's done for countless others, God can do for you. So how did he do that for Elijah? Well, as we turn to the story, we see there's some amazing things that have happened. Prior to chapter 19, Elijah's done some amazing things in the power of the Lord. And the most recent is he's called down fire upon the upon the idols of, of Baal, upon the prophets of Baal, upon this altar, and it burns everything up, and the people turn and they worship God as a result. And then he slays all the prophets, and then in the power of God, he runs 17 miles ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. And it's when Ahab gets to Jezreel, he goes into the palace and he tells Queen Jezebel that what, about what Elijah has done. And rather than repent and worship God, she gets angry. And she threatens his life. She tells Elijah through a messenger that if the gods don't kill me, you're going to be dead tomorrow at this time. And we're told to that, Elijah's afraid and he runs for his life. And we're told that in the midst of that, I think we see in the midst of that text what God does to help Elijah in the midst of this fear, in the midst of this depression, in the midst of this grief. He does so by providing him faith. He does so ahead of time. All of the things that Elijah has seen God do, everything that God said would happen, happens. Raising a child from the dead, being fed by ravens, having food with an orphan and the widow, being able to call down fire, ceasing rain, running in the power of God. Every time God promised something, God showed up. God gives Elijah faith that God is still there. Remember in the text, what we read, what we heard read, is that when he came to the broom bush, when he ran for his life, he sat down under it and he prayed. Elijah still had faith that God was there, that God would hear him. And God did hear him. God grants Elijah faith in the middle of his grief and his depression. Now let me be clear what faith isn't here. A lot of us labor under the mis misunderstanding that faith is an antidote 
to grief. That if we have a big enough faith, if we have a strong enough faith, then the pain associated with grief will be minimal, will be less. And maybe we could even escape it. But when you think about the size of faith that Elijah had, and yet he experienced grief and depression, you see that faith is not an antidote to depression, but faith is a light through our grief. Faith is a light in the midst of our grief, pointing to the way out of grief. Not to our own strength, not faith in ourselves, but faith in the one who can see us through it. Faith in God. God gives Elijah that faith. And Elijah prays to the one who can, in the midst of our grief, we too should seek the one who can provide the way out of our grief. The second way that we see God provide for Elijah is in these next verses. And we see God doing that by providing his presence for Elijah. How does he do that? Well, we see after he lays down and he falls asleep and he prays that prayer, an angel comes along and touches him and says, Elijah, get up and eat and drink. And he looks around and there's hot baked bread and there's a jar of water. And he eats and he drinks and he lays back down. And the angel comes to him again and touches him again and says, Elijah, get up and eat and drink for you are too weak for the journey ahead of you. And he ate and he drank. And in the power of that of that food and that drink, he goes 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount Horeb, to the mountain of God. And it's there that God sees him. And it's there that God speaks to him. And the question that God asks him is, what are you doing here, Elijah? To which Elijah says to him, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me as well. What are you doing here, Elijah? Think about that for a minute. Does God really not know why Elijah is there? Of course he knows. So the question is why? Why does he ask him a question he already knows the answer to? Well, it can't be for God's benefit, so it must be for Elijah's benefit. But how? You know, when Emily, our daughter, was a young girl, she was deathly afraid of showering in the bathtub. And I would say, Emily, why, why can't you shower? Because I'm afraid, Dad. Afraid of what, Emily? I'm afraid of sharks. Sharks coming through the drain? No, Dad. Sharks coming through the floor. I'm like, through the floor? Emily, come downstairs with me. So I take her downstairs to the room underneath the shower and show her there's just floor. There's no ocean. There's no sharks. Go take your shower. But not my wife, not Terry. Terry would look at Emily and say, Emily, are you ready to take a shower? And she's like, Mom, I'm afraid. Well, Emily, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of sharks, Mom. Oh. Well, would it help, Emily, if I sat with you? Oh, that would be wonderful, Mom. And that's what Terry would do. And she did that for years. And every now and then she'd ask Emily, Emily, you want to take your shower by yourself? No, Mom, I'm afraid. Well, what are you afraid of, Ems? I'm afraid of those sharks, Mom. Well, how about I sit with you while you shower? Would that be okay? That'd be great. 
I think God's doing the same thing for Elijah. Now, he's not giving him strength and courage to take a shower by himself, but he's reminding him that God is with him. He's also telling Elijah that your concerns, your grief matter to me. I want to give you the opportunity to express your fear, your grief, your depression. I need you. I want you to express it to me and to know that I hear you and that I care about you and that what you're experiencing is valid, but also to know that I will not leave you. I will be right here with you. In fact, he says to him next, he says, so go out into the mouth of the cave because you will experience my presence. And he sends a wind and he sends earthquake and he sends fire. But then it's in this thin, soft silence that he recognizes the presence of God and he he throws his cloak over his face and he goes out and the presence of God is there and he hears God speak again and God asks him the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? God is giving Elijah the gift of his presence. He's saying, I am with you. The fact that you're experiencing grief and depression doesn't drive me away. It drives me closer. I want you to know that I'm with you. And so he gives Elijah the gift of his presence. But he doesn't stop there. He also tells Elijah, go back the way you came, but you're not going to go this journey alone. In fact, I'm going to send three other men with you. I'm going to send those three men with you, and they're going to journey with you, and they're going to accompany you. You are not alone. He gives them the gift not only of his presence, but he gives them the gift of his friends, of others that are journeying with him. God does the same thing for you and I. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit in us to empower us. He gives the gift of his word for us to be reminded of his presence. And he gives us the gift of his people to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to help us and guide us in places that they've been that we are just encountering so that we too can then go and do that likewise for others. Which brings us to the third way I believe that God helps Elijah through his pain and suffering. He does so by providing meaning. When we look at verse 16 and 18, we see something remarkable. He says to Elijah, you're going to have a successor. His name is Elisha. He is going to succeed you, but you are going to have to train him up. You have work to do. There is still meaning and purpose in your life. And then he says, but there's also a reserved 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Your preaching, your ministry in Israel was not in vain. Your life had meaning and still has meaning. Experts in grief will tell you that meaning is a stage that must be experienced to then come out of grief. God provides that meaning for Elijah. He provides that meaning for you and I. He gives us faith as a light through. He gives us his presence to remind us that we are not alone, and he gives us meaning to tell us that no matter our grief, no matter what we've been through, there is still work for us to do. Our life still has meaning today. All of these instances point forward to another story, reminding us that God is continually working And he provides meaning not only for this life, but for the life to come. And he does that through the work of his son, Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, made righteous, made whole, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, because of what God has done, working through pain, working through grief, we have peace. Not avoiding his death, but walking right through it so we could have peace, not only now, but for eternity. God continually gives and gives and gives. In the midst of grief, God reminds us there is meaning, there is a light, and there is his presence. So the answer to the question, is there hope for peace in grief? Yes, there is, because of Jesus. We have peace, and we can experience it in the midst of grief and depression. You know, it's been four years since my dad passed away, and I can tell you that I still grieve his loss today. But in those four years since his passing, my love for him has grown. I've come to appreciate his presence in my life more than I did when he was alive. You know, he married my mom when I was 10. And I thought, you know, I could have foregone the grief of his passing had I never met him. But I think it would have been worse never to have met him, never to have had his life impact mine the way it has. It would have been a worse thing not to have known him than to have known him and experienced the grief of his passing. But it's in, the, it's in the grief of his passing that my love for him has increased. God continues to provide for me, and he continues to provide for us in the middle of grief, in the middle of sorrow. God continually gives. And I'd like to close today with this poem, a poem by Annie Johnson Flint titled, He Giveth More Grace. It's a poem that Ravi Zacharias often quoted to remind us of God's grace, his love, his provision in times of sorrow, in times of grief. She writes, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known own to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. My prayer for you today is that you could experience that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I pray that it keeps your hearts and minds in the one true faith until life everlasting. Amen.